welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David takes a look at the parable of the rich man and the beggar. Let's listen. Okay, so there was a photographer, and he was in New York to film uh, Fashion Week, you know, the time of the season where the people, designers, show off their new styles, new looks for the upcoming season. So this photographer is, is shooting all of that, but then in between shoots, he's walking down the street, and he saw something that completely startled him, so much that he, he stopped where he was and just stared for a second, and then decided to take a picture. And what he saw, and I'm going to show you the picture in a second, but what he saw was a startling contrast. So when you see this picture, I, I too want you to see the startling contrast. Let's go ahead and show that picture now. He was just walking down the street and saw this. And what I see when I look at this picture is my eyes are first drawn to the, the women in the top right. I mean, they're wearing such vibrant colors. They're obviously dressed um, fashionably for fashion week. Uh, they, are, they are ready to go. But then my eyes drift to the bottom left corner, and I see the man sitting there. And I, I see that unlike kind of the fancy shoes that they are wearing, he's not even wearing shoes. His shoes are placed to the right of him, left of him, I guess. His beard has gotten very long. He looks tired, just worn out. He's got some sort of dirt or, or mud on his left elbow. Yes, there is a contrast between these two. And the photographer, who again was there for Fashion Week, took this photo and, and he said, this photo is not to say that one is right and one is wrong. And the photo is definitely not to demonize the women who were there to enjoy Fashion Week, that's a good thing to do. But instead, it was to show the contrast of experiences that were present in that city, on that street, all together that very same day. Yes, both of those experiences were true, were happening in that very city. Well, we're going to study a parable today, and this parable too has an elaborate contrast that I hope that you'll notice. You see, Jesus, as this ultimate storyteller, develops these two characters in the story, and the two characters couldn't be more different from one another. Yes, there's going to be a contrast in his story. And as we read it today, I hope that what you'll do is you'll put yourself in the shoes of both characters, even though they're very different from one another. Even though you may relate to one and not the other, put yourself in the shoes of both characters. Here's how Jesus begins his story. He says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we're going to follow the lives of these two people today. We have an unnamed rich man, and we have a poor man, a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus means God helps. So that should give you a clue as to where this story is going today. But the rich man, let's start with him. 
He is dressed in the, the finest clothes that you could have in Jesus' time and place. Yes, he has everything that he could ever really want or need. His needs are taken care of. Life has been kind to him. But on his doorstep is a beggar outside his very home. So what I want you to imagine is this large, opulent house. And around that house is a big fence that kind of gates everybody out. And in that fence, there is a gate that you can enter and exit. And by that gate, this beggar has placed himself. No doubt so that he can ask each person who enters or exits for help. So let's now move to the the beggar, Lazarus. What do we know about him? Well, Jesus tells us he's covered in sores, which means he probably didn't have access to routine medical care or showers or hygiene. And this man was also hungry, so hungry that he longed even for the scraps from the rich man's table. That's how hungry he was. Now, the rich man could have easily sent out some servants with those scraps to feed the beggar from time to time. But what the story implies is that he didn't do that. Instead, the rich man gave those scraps of food simply to the dogs. Well, the rich man and Lazarus are the main characters of Jesus' parable today. What happens to them next? The story says the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, to which we all say, huh? I mean, isn't it true that when you die, you go to heaven? And so what is all of this business about angels coming and carrying this man to Abraham's side? Isn't that a strange thing to say? I mean, don't you just love parables? I think Jesus makes parables intentionally strange to really make sure we're paying attention, to make sure we're gripped by the story. Well, Abraham's side, we don't really reference that much today. But in Jesus's day, what that implied was it symbolized intimacy and closeness with Abraham. So think Abraham of the Old Testament of Genesis. If you're right by the side of Abraham, uh, you're in that physical presence with him. You are near to him. There's an intimacy with Abraham. There was a tradition in Judaism, which went into early Christianity, that when the faithful died, meaning those who loved God and lived for God during their lifetimes, when they died, they would go to be with the rest of the faithful, the rest who had already died, but who had loved God. They envision, this tradition envisions a time when you die of a celebration for all of those who have lived the faith, all together saying, we did it. Jesus talks about this tradition in another parable in Matthew, and he imagines it's like a feast. He says, I say to you, that many will come from the east and the west, meaning they're going to come from all over the place, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And where is this happening? In the kingdom of heaven. 
Yes, what's envisioned here is this celebration, this feast, this dinner table for all those who have died but who loved God. I mean, think about it. The whole story, this whole redemption story, this salvation story started in Genesis. It started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is like saying that those who lived for God, when they die, will be reunited with all the rest who have lived for God but have since died. What Jesus is saying here is that this beggar, even though he experienced an absolutely dreadful life, uh, even though he was miserable through so much of his life, after he dies, he was still faithful to God. And so in his death, he is placed right by the side of Abraham. He may even be seated next to him in the heavenly feast. I mean, what a beautiful picture of redemption in this story. Well, if that's the fate of the beggar, what happens to the rich man? Jesus says the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So the rich man also dies. But did you notice that the rich man is given a burial, which implies that the poor man was not given a burial. That when he died, well, he was worth nothing in life, so they probably just tossed his body to the side where the rich man was given this elegant funeral. Yes, Jesus is showing you contrast, right? Over and over again saying in their lifetimes they experience life on different ends of the spectrum. But then what Jesus is implying is that in death, they're also on different ends of the spectrum. While the beggar ends up feasting with Abraham, the rich man ends up in Hades. Yikes! Now Hades, it should be noted, is not the same place as hell. Hades is translated from the word in the Old Testament, Sheol. And Sheol is simply the place of the dead. The uh, concept of heaven and hell was not fully developed yet at this point in Judaism and early Christianity. So Hades is the place, is, Hades is the place of the dead, which is where the rich man finds himself, and he is in torment. Now, if this parable is not wild enough, th think about this fact. They can see one another. I mean, imagine that, that the person in Hades can look up and see the man who's by Abraham's side. He sees Lazarus. He sees Abraham. This is a wild story. Now, before we go any further, you all need to know one thing. And if you don't get this one thing, you're going to just miss the whole point of the parable. So, so hear this one thing. This story is not saying that all rich people are going to end up in Hades. Okay, hear that clearly. Nor is this story saying that all poor people are going to end up Abraham's side. That's not the point of this story. Riches and wealth or poverty and poorness, they're simply the setting, the setting of the story. It's not the purpose of the story. I believe Jesus really does want to draw us this strict contrast, and so he's using something we're all familiar with, wealth or lack thereof, but that's simply the setting. 
Don't let the setting distract you from the purpose of this story. Well, what's the point? Well, we'll, we'll keep getting to that. Okay, so these men lived differently while on earth. One loved God and one did not. The rich man now sees his predicament in the afterlife and he seeks help. The story says, so he called to him, Father, Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. There are two things I want you to note here. The first is that the rich man recognizes Abraham. He's never seen Abraham before, but he recognizes him. In fact, he calls him father. Father Abraham, which would have been a Jewish term, right? A Jewish way to recognize Abraham. Which means that this rich man was most likely Jewish. He knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the Torah. He knew what God said about taking care of the poor. Yes, he knew all of this. But knowledge and actually living in a certain way, I mean, those are different things. And so the way he lived did not reflect his knowledge. He literally let a man die on his doorstep from hunger. The second thing I want you to notice is the man asks for partial mercy. He doesn't ask for full mercy. He doesn't say, Abraham, please let me come to your side as well. No, he just says, won't you let Lazarus dip his finger in water? Just give me one drop. It makes me wonder in this parable if he recognizes where he is and understands that, yeah, you know, this is probably where I need to be. How will Abraham respond? That's the question. We're told, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Again, the contrast. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Basically, Abraham says, sorry, can't help you. Which I know, it seems harsh, doesn't it? But remember, this is a parable. This is a story. It didn't actually happen, but Jesus is telling it in such a way that makes it very gripping, where you go, whoa, why would Abraham respond in that way? At this point in the story, I believe that Jesus, in the strongest terms possible, wants to show you the reversal of fortunes between the rich man and Lazarus. Yes, the rich man who used to feast on the finest foods is now begging for a drop of water, while the beggar who died of hunger is now feasting by Abraham's side. We have a reversal of fortunes contrast in this story. The point, though, that, that Jesus is making is that the way that we live on earth matters. It really does make a difference. It kind of reminds me of the, the Christmas carol. It's one of my favorites. 
And I know it's July, but it's really hot. And I like to think about Christmas coming. So remember the Christmas Carol. It's Charles Dickens. And in the Christmas Carol, the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, well, he lived life completely for himself. Uh, He was business partners with a man named Jacob Marley. And they both cared about one thing and one thing only, which was their profits, their money. They didn't care about people. They didn't care about Tiny Tim. None of that. They wanted money. Well, Jacob Marley dies first. And as a ghost, you remember the story, he appears to Scrooge and basically tells him the way we've been living is wrong. This kind of self-centered life, it's wrong. He says, you've got time. You've got to live differently. And he tells Scrooge, you're going to be visited by three spirits of Christmas past, Christmas present, and things yet to come. And those spirits basically warn him to live differently. And you know the story. Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning, and he is a changed man. He says, I'm not going to live for myself anymore, but I'm going to live for others because I recognize now, based off of what Jacob Marley said, that I'm heading down in the wrong direction. You know, that story seems very similar to our parable, doesn't it? Except our parable was written 1,900 years earlier. But there's some similarities there. And one big change, though, one difference between the two, is that in this story, or in the story before, Marley was able to go back and warn Scrooge. But in our parable today, no one can go back to warn the people. Here's what we find out next. It says, He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Well, just like Marley came back and warned Scrooge, the rich man is saying, please, won't you send Lazarus? If you send Lazarus and warn my five brothers, who obviously were living in a similarly selfish way, he says, then, then they won't end up where I ended up. But Abraham's rebuttal is that they already have people who are telling them what they need to know. They already have this information. They have what he calls Moses and the prophets, which is a term that's used to really symbolize the whole Old Testament. Moses representing the law and the prophets representing the prophets. He's telling him they already have the whole Old Testament. They've got everything they need to seek God. But the rich man keeps trying. He says, no, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is a great time to say, what a strange parable. I mean, this is how the parable ends. And I must admit, when we were planning out this summer series, and I was reading all the parables— I got to this one and said, there's no way I'm preaching on that parable. That is a bizarre parable. 
But I find as a pastor, when I have that gut reaction, those are often the scriptures I should preach on. Because we shouldn't ignore any scripture, no matter how bizarre, because God speaks through all of it. And so I believe there are two things we really can take from today's scripture, that we can learn from today's scripture. And the first is that we have everything we need to believe. I mean, this person, the rich man, was saying to, to Abraham, won't you send someone, right? First, won't you send Lazarus? Or, or if Lazarus won't work, maybe someone can rise from the dead, which isn't that interesting. Jesus almost implying that, hey, I'm going to die. And Jesus says, I'm going to be raised to life three days later. And even then, not everyone will believe. So it's like Jesus is saying, you've got everything you need to believe the good news. Uh, think about that as Christians today. We've got not only the Old Testament, but we've got the New Testament too. We've got the stories of Jesus, the way that God changed the world. We also have the church. We've got the Christian community encouraging one another in this walk of faith. We've got the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, living in each and every one of us. Yes, we have everything that we need to believe. I wonder if you can relate to this. I can remember when I was a kid, at one point, I came home from church a little bit frustrated, and I said, okay, God, if you want me to believe in you, just appear, just one time. You don't have to appear all the time, but just one time. And if you appear, I will believe in you for the rest of my life. Yes, a lot of us have this, well, God, if, if you do this, then I will believe in you. But Jesus says, well, that if basically can just keep going up and up and up, and still we'll just raise that threshold. Even if someone rises from the dead, well, Jesus says, still, still not everyone will believe. No, today we have all that we need to believe this good news of God in the world. I think that's the first point that Jesus is making with this parable. And the second is that we must not ignore the needs of those who are on our very doorstep. I mean, that's really what did the rich man in. It wasn't that he was rich. This parable is not about demonizing the wealthy, but it is that he had a man on his doorstep that he passed each and every day and simply ignored. This parable it really is an encouragement to us to not act like that but to instead look for the people who are in our paths and to not ignore them when we see them. I think the, the strangeness of this parable means that you'll remember it longer. You've, you'll be thinking about it today and thinking about these images. And as you do, I hope you remember those two things, that you've got everything you need to believe and to not ignore the needs of the people on your doorstep. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.